Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded, located in stable eastern Canada. The Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com, and read more. Prodigy Gold, today's discovery, tomorrow's future. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome uh, back to uh, the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, for the second hour of today, our, sh- our sponsors are Arrowway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Goldrich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again an old friend, James Turk, uh, James is very well known to many of you, uh, but for the sake of a growing number of people who are newcomers to, to the gold market and who may not be familiar with why the markets have chosen gold as money, uh, let me just read a, a brief bio for James. Uh, he is the founder of uh, and chairman of Gold Money, uh, GoldMoney.com, uh, which you can access uh, from our Voice America webpage uh, at also uh, that's at JTaylorMedia.com, or you can go to GoldMoney.com. James holds uh, patents on the use of the uh, Internet for gold, uh, for a gold payment system, and uh, this really is, uh, I think, one of the best ways to own gold is through uh, gold money. It's, uh, it's easy to buy it. It's an uh, inexpensive uh, way to buy and sell, uh, and to uh, liquidate that and take, either take possession of the gold and, and other precious metals as well, um, or, um, uh, or, or have the money or sell the, the metals and have the money wired into your account in various various currencies. Uh, Mr. Turk uh, uh, really has been involved in this gold business for a long time. Um, he, was, uh, he, he has specialized in international banking, finance, and investments 
Since graduating in 1969 from George Washington University with a bachelor's degree, he began his career with the Chase Manhattan Bank uh, with stints in Thailand, the Philippines, and Hong Kong. In 1980, he joined the private investment and trading company of a prominent precious metals trader and moved to the United Arab Emirates in December 1983 to be appointed manager of the commodity department of the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority until he resigned in 1987. And uh, he's written several uh, monographs on money and banking and is the co-author of The Coming Collapse of the Dollar, which has been updated for a paperback version titled The Collapse of the Dollar, uh, and that's at dollarcollapse.com. Welcome, James. It's really good to have you back. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Jay. Always. uh, You uh, are now enjoying yourself uh, in uh, the heat wave of uh, New Hampshire, I believe. You're uh, actually living in Spain most of the time now. Why did you go to Spain? Well, I actually, yeah, I I live in London. I spent some time in Spain. Um, you know, I'm 65 this year, so Spain is my golf and uh, vacation location. But I'm actually a London resident. Yeah, it's um, well, it certainly is. Spain is a place where uh, is making the news every day, almost these days, in the financial uh, markets. Uh, now they've fixed everything up. Now, haven't they? Oh, no, they haven't fixed anything up, really. Um, they're just kicking the can down the road, as the saying goes. You know, if, if you really got to focus first on Greece, and the question is whether Greece is a precursor of what's going to happen in the rest of Europe, yes. and then ultimately spread across the Atlantic uh, to the United States and across the English Channel into Great Britain itself. But, you know, Greece is in a, in a Great Depression. Um, it, if you look at Greece compared to the United States in the 1930s, the Greek stock market's down 90%. The Dow Jones in the 1930s was down 90%. The unemployment rate in Greece is about 25%, and that's what, that's what was generally considered to be the unemployment rate during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And then the money supply in Greece is down about a, a 25%, uh, and the U.S. money supply dropped about 30% during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, Greece is in a Great Depression, and the question now is whether that depression is going to go to other countries that have similar problems to what Greece did, mm-hmm. and Spain is the next one. And it all comes back to one of my favorite quotes from Margaret Thatcher. You know, she said that the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money. Right. And that's what happened to Greece. And not only did they run out of money, but they also ran out of borrowing capacity to try to keep this game going, you know, to make it believe that they could just print money out of thin air uh, and have a never-ending prosperity without actually investing in production and savings. And it, they, they hit the end of the road. And Spain is you know, very close to the end of the road, as is Italy, as is Great Britain. And for that matter, Jay, so is the United States. Hmm. It sounds like a global depression to me, James. Yeah, what it is is that you know, we're in a bubble. And you know, we had the Internet bubble, the real estate bubble, et cetera, et cetera. Those are just precursors to the real bubble that we're mm-hmm. in. It, I call it the fiat currency bubble. You know, we have fiat currency, to, currency mm-hmm. today. It's backed by nothing except promises. And monetary history shows that you know fiat currency is always destroyed. Um, and you know, we've had this 40-year experiment with fiat currency, uh, and it's not going well. And what it basically means to me is that. Gold is going to you know, return to the center of global commerce, uh, which, are, which is where it's always been for 5,000 years. Um, and you know, for the past 40 years, governments are trying to make believe that you know, gold isn't necessary. But in fact, it is, because gold imposes discipline on government spending. 
if governments can create money out of thin air, they'll keep creating money out of thin air until they destroy the currency. You know, that's clear from monetary history. Mm-hmm. But if the currency is tied to gold, that's a discipline that keeps um, uh, a control on how much governments can spend. And the control in that case, Jay, is where it should be. It's in the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a sound monetary system is very important to maintain, maintain uh, to enable the citizenry of a country to maintain control of its government. When you lose the power of the purse strings and you just give it to the government, the government will keep printing money and money until the currency is destroyed. And that's the path that most governments around the world are presently on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so countries run out of money. The problem with socialism, as Margaret Thatcher says, is that, uh, you know, it's uh, finally uh, you run out of other people's money. So what we're seeing now is, of course, uh, Greece and the other countries that you named Spain uh, are looking for other countries' money now. And so they're looking towards Germany, of course, and the, the, re- the wealthier countries in uh, in Europe, how far is this going to go? I mean, it seems as though uh, as though the Germans may have sort of given in a bit uh, last week uh, in the agreements uh, that took place. It seemed to restore some confidence. Maybe the maybe the operative word is con artistry. I don't know, but uh, the markets, you know, the equity markets took off, and uh, uh, gold and a lot of other things went up. Uh, wh- so, are we going to run out of Germany's money eventually? Yeah, you know, Germany is not really in that strong a financial position anyway. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at all 17 members of the Eurozone, they have this rule that only um, government budget deficits are not supposed to be more than 3% of uh, a country's uh, gross domestic product, its GDP. Mm-hmm. Of the 17 members, only six are less than 3% of GDP, and all of those six are also running deficits. Nobody's running a surplus in Europe anymore. Mm. Um, you know, they're all spending money, and they're basically turning to the European Central Bank to create that money out of thin air uh, and, you know, give it to the government so that they can meet their, their spending aspirations. But if you look at Germany on its own, it's got one of the highest debt-to-GDP ratios uh, in Europe. So, you know, it does not have the capacity to bail out not only the rest of Europe, but it's got its own issues. It's already got a lot of debt, that uh, much of which goes back to the reunification with East Germany and all of the money they ended up spending to bring about the reunification. So, you know, there's a lot of talk that's coming out of Europe, and there are a lot of, you know, grand plans, but Mm -hmm. nothing's been done. Uh, You know, the, the situation just continues to deteriorate. And at the end of the day, Jay, the only answer really is gold. And right. when the politicians eventually wake up, the gold price is going to be much, much higher than it is today. Well, the markets are going to, it seems to me, the markets are definitely talking very loudly and clearly to those that are willing to look and to hear and to listen. Uh, certainly you would agree, I'm sure, that with the price of gold where it is, uh, off of 200 and some dollars back in 2003, that the markets are starting to talk a little bit. Certainly we're seeing... Uh, some talk now in the, the Basel III um, Accords or Basel III uh, uh, capital requirements that are being talked about. I hear they're starting to say that they may allow banks to use the gold in their uh, in their coffers as um, you know as collateral against, uh, uh, and they don't have to hold any reserves against that when they make loans. So it, it looks like um, obviously the price of gold is rising, the price of silver is rising. Uh, the markets will eventually win out, will they not? Yeah, they will. But we have to remember, when we're talking about the rising price of gold or the rising price of silver, really what's happening is that the purchasing power of the dollar is eroding. 
Um, you know, and I like to use an example. When I was a kid growing up in Ohio back in the 1950s, I remember very well when my parents could take the family car into the local gas station and fill it up with two silver dollars. <laughs> Today, you can still fill up the family car with the content, with the silver content of two silver dollars, mm-hmm. um, which is about sixty dollars uh, or so. Sure, but you can't fill it up with the face value of those two silver dollars, which is only two dollars. Sure, so, you know, gold and silver over. You know, periods of time, they they maintain their purchasing power. And when you're in an economic um, uh, um, environment where you, more problems are to be expected, you want to go to gold or, if you're so inclined, to silver as well in order to protect and preserve your purchasing power. And then when we come out the, <clears throat> the other side of the valley, your purchasing power will be intact um, and you'll be in a good position for you know the next cycle of economic growth. Yeah, that is if they allow you to keep your purchasing power, which is a whole other issue. I don't know if we'll have time to address today or not. But yeah, well, uh, that's the confiscation issue, and that's one of the reasons why you know when I founded Gold Money, um, I based it in Europe mm-hmm. because um, in 1933 gold was confiscated by the federal government and it was made illegal to own until 1974, which took away the ability of individuals to protect themselves from inflation and all of the monetary turmoil during that period. Mm-hmm. But gold that was stored outside the United States was not confiscated. So, you know, what my recommendation is is to own physical gold, physical silver, and own it in as many different ways as practical mm-hmm. and as many different geographic locations. And what we do in gold money is we offer storage vaults in London, Zurich, and Hong Kong, mm-hmm. where you can actually store professionally insured and have audits, you know, um, confirming that your metal is there uh, mm-hmm. in each of those locations. Yeah, so it's possible to open up a holding at Gold Money and have uh, that uh, split up into three different jurisdictions, I guess is what you're saying. That's right, and if you want, you can always have your gold shipped back to the United States. It's very Mm -hmm. easy to do. Mm -hmm. Well, there's uh, no doubt about that. The question is, where is the gold? And uh, you wrote a very interesting article uh, the other day at Gold Money, and I should remind our uh, listeners that people can take advantage of frequent uh, uh, frequent articles that James writes at goldmoney.com. Not only James, you have a number of other writers there as well, and you're starting to do some interviews, I think, with some very interesting people as well. Are you not, James? Yes, that's right. We're doing uh, various podcasts. We've also done some educational videos. There's one in particular uh, that we did called Fiat Money Inflation in France, which I highly recommend. That's mm. at the Gold Money Foundation uh, uh, website goldmoneyfoundation.org. Mm-hmm. And that video explains, you know, what happened with um, fiat money back in France during the uh, during the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very good instructional video on the problems of fiat currency. Mm-hmm. Um, the article you wrote, one that sort of caught my eye recently, a story about um, German gold that was supposedly stored at the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. Would you care to share that with our listeners? Yeah, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York is one of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks, and it's the only one that actually deals with other countries' central banks. And uh, there's supposedly approximately something like uh, 8,000, uh, 8,500 tons of gold stored in that in that vault, including some German gold. Well, I, I've been doing a lot of reading of the 1920s and 1930s because there are so many parallels between today and then. And I happen to be picking, uh, reading a book called The Confessions of an Old Wizard, uh, Old Wizard was the nickname of uh, Helmar Schacht, who was the president of the Reichsbank, uh, Reichs, Reichsbank in the 1920s. 
And they had stored gold in the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. And he, on one of his trips to New York, he went to visit the gold in the vault. And uh, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, uh, a guy by the name of Strong, took him down to the vault and asked the clerks to show the gold. And the clerks said they couldn't find the German gold in the, in the vault of the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. Um, and uh, Schacht sort of sloughed it off and said, well, I'm sure you're good for the gold anyway. But, you know, the question is, is when you own gold, you own it for a purpose. It's the yeah. bedrock asset in your portfolio. You don't want to take risks with it. You want to know where it is at all times, just in case you ever have to use it. And that's true whether you're an individual or a, a, a you know a central bank of some country. So you know it's a bit shocking. And I guess the moral of the story is is that you know when you're storing gold professionally, you want to be you want to be absolutely certain that the gold is in the vault. And the only way you can do that is to have independent third-party audits. You know, it's proving that the gold really does exist. It's stored there in your name, and mm-hmm. it's safe and secure, and it's also insured. Mm-hmm. And this is what you do at Gold Money. You have independent audits of the gold. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we have what we call the industry lead, uh, uh, leading governance procedures. And, you know, when you're looking at buying gold, uh, you want to look at, you know, basically three factors. You know, a factor of convenience. Um, you know, the economics of it. You know, you want to buy gold in a, in a most economical way. But the most important thing is you want to be certain that whatever gold you buy, you know, is safe. And, you know, whether you buy it and store it at home or buy it and store it with gold money or, you know, have it professionally stored for you, that safety thing is the most important thing you want to consider because you don't want to take risks with your bedrock asset. You want mm-hmm. to be certain it's safe at all times. Well, you, you kind of wonder why this, uh, this German diplomat uh, even went down to see the gold if he didn't care if it wasn't there. Well, the interesting thing was is that he was just actually going down to see the vault. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York had been just built a few years before, and the, the, the vault, which was considered to be the most technologically advanced vault in the world at the time, had just been finished. So the, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York was taking the, the German central bank president down there to show off. To show know, it off. Look like and say, well, here, come and see your gold, but they couldn't find the gold. So. <laughs> So, I mean, it would have been gold that was allocated for Germany's account, and they couldn't identify it or find it, I guess. And, yeah, and the sad thing is is that uh, Schacht, who is the president of the Reichsbank, never really pursued it. He didn't say, well, you know, find the gold. You know, was it really in the vault and just misplaced, or was it not in the vault because it had been loaned out? And, he didn't you know, that's care. very much a concern today with central bank gold because it, central banks don't accurately account for how much gold they really have in their vaults these days. Uh, and so we don't really know how much is there or how much has been put out on loan. And, you know, obviously gold in the vault is very different than gold that's been put out in the market on loan. We had um, we have not had an audit of the U.S. gold since Eisenhower. Um, do you think we're going to get another audit anytime soon? Well, Ron I Paul so. is trying. I'm, you know, I'm very much in favor of Congressman Ron Paul's uh, efforts to try to get the U.S. gold audited um, it is an important asset uh, of the United States, uh, you know, of the of the people. Um, the cost of auditing is not consequential. Uh, it, it's really? a, a relatively small amount. Sure. The importance of the asset. I mean, you know, we're talking supposedly if it, if what's really there is uh, uh, almost uh, 400 billion dollars of gold. Mm-hmm. You know, at current market prices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a lot of money to not uh, not be audited. Well. If uh, a recent guest we had on this show, John Butler, is right, uh, John believes that we are inevitably heading back to a to a gold uh, international gold monetary system, and his view is that 
uh, we'd have to see at least a $10,000 price to ensure enough gold to back up all the paper units of currency that are out there in the world today. So, I mean, that's a ten grand as a pair, as a, as opposed to uh, the current fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar price. That would really make it a much more valuable asset than it is now. Yeah, but keep in mind, Jay, that you know gold does not create wealth. It's just a sterile asset. Of course. What happens when the gold price rises? You're just transferring the purchasing power from people who hold fiat currency to people who own gold. Um, you know, and ten years from now, if the gold price is you know. Uh, $10,000 an ounce, you'll still be able to take the family car to the local, you know, filling station and with two, the, the silver content of two silver dollars fill up the family car. Uh, so you basically, you got to remember it's that the, the dollar is losing purchasing power. It's not yeah. that gold is creating wealth. Well, that's exactly right. I like to quote from Ian McAvity in a newsletter a number of months back when he said a dollar, uh, he said a, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. What is a dollar? Or what, you know. So, I mean, the, the point is well taken. What does $10,000 mean? What does $1,000 mean? Which is one of the reasons I like to look at the real price of gold. Some insights from Bob Hoy, who, is, who has gone back and looked at history and said that he believes we are in the sixth major credit contraction of the last 300 years. Does that sound far-fetched to you? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, these periodic you know, contractions occur. I mean, you know, even in this, you know, the past, uh, the 20th uh, century, uh, you know, you had the boom of the 20s, you had the credit contraction in the 30s, you had the boom in the 50s and the 60s, and then you had the contraction in the 70s. You had the boom in the 80s and the 90s, and you know, now you're in another credit contraction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this boom and bust cycle occurs because of the, the way banks operate on a fractional reserve basis. You know, they lend and lend and lend until they get over-leveraged, over-extended, the borrowers borrow too much money and get overextended, um, and ultimately you have to have the bust. The bust inevitably follows a boom, and mm-hmm. you know the bust started in 2000. They mm-hmm. normally last you know 12, 15 years. We still have uh, several years to go on this current bust, and in fact it could be even longer than that if governments keep stepping in the way and kicking the can down the road, mm-hmm. rather than let you know everybody uh, let banks clean up their balance sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. bad banks go under, and the good banks survive. Mm-hmm. We uh, we recently had Walker Todd on this show, and uh, followed by uh, by Ron Paul and uh, Louis Lehrman, and the question of fractional reserve banking came up uh, also with another a guest that we had, Bill Bergman, who was a, a Federal Reserve economist at the Chicago uh, Chicago Fed. He uh, wrote that that bank's uh, contribution to the Beige Book, and he was also involved with. Uh, looking uh, for money patterns, money flows uh, for uh, terrorism uh, uh, to try to uh, pinpoint terrorist activities. And the problem that Bill had was he uh, he got a bit too nosy for the Fed. He he wanted to he wanted an answer as to why or who knew that 9/11 was coming. And he found that in the weeks leading up to 9/11, there was a huge increase in M1, and an awful lot of that was going out into the economy in the form of $100 bills. And uh, when he asked, uh, you know, why and what's going on, uh, the Fed uh, dismissed him and didn't want him working there anymore. One wonders, um, you know, what that was all about. Were you aware of that at all? No, I wasn't aware of that. But, you know, central banks work behind uh, closed doors. Central bankers operate behind closed doors, you know, amidst secrecy. And I don't think there's any room for that in a, in a you know, a, an open democracy. And, so I also support, uh, you know, Ron Paul's efforts to end the Fed. End the Fed uh, you know, and to audit the Fed. We quite well without a central bank. Yeah. I don't think we need one. 
Yeah, the re- what I was getting at there uh, with Bill Bergman, we talked about the fractional reserve banking system as Walker Todd suggested we're going to go. He believes we're going to go and should go and will go back onto a, a gold standard. Then the question is fractional reserve banking, and Walker's view was that if we go or don't go, we should get rid of fractional reserve banking. You, you would agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, there's been a lot written on this, and I think the the leading proponent of that is Murray Rothbart, and he's written mm-hmm. some wonderful pieces on Mises.org. You know, Mises, in my mind, was the greatest economist of the 20th century. Right. And uh, the Mises.org website has some wonderful stuff, not only by Mises, but by his proponents. And I think Rothbard, who I completely agree with, Murray Rothbard, you know, is uh, suggesting that we get rid of fractional reserve banking because it is a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it basically enables banks to, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes to think that their money's on deposit, but in fact their money isn't on deposit, it's mm-hmm. being lent out. You know, it's, it's, it's a, a very, very dishonest uh, system. Well, Bergman uh, was in favor of fractional reserve banking, but he said he thinks that banks then should not be insured. That is, depositors' money shouldn't be insured. The banks, if they were going to lend two or three times out or whatever, uh, they would do it then ca- cautiously. But that, that was his view. But uh, various views, but certainly this is an important issue, the fractional reserve banking system. Uh, and then, you know, if we go back to a gold system, then should it be a straight non uh, non-fractional system, and I guess that would be the purity, and, and that would be your choice, probably. Yeah, you know, my first choice is to go back to what the Constitution says. Mm-hmm. You know, the framers went through the monetary turmoil of the collapse of the Continental, which was the first currency of the country after uh, winning independence from uh, from Great Britain. And because of the collapse of the Continental, the framers decided to create a more perfect union, and one of the key elements of that was to have a common market and the second key element was to have a common currency, which was the dollar. And the dollar was a specific weight of, of at that time, silver. Um, and Congress has the power to coin uh, money. It doesn't have the power to print. It doesn't have the ability to emit bills of credit or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to go back to a constitutional um, monetary system and then uh, let the free market create various forms of currency. Yeah. Uh, which is what happened in, you know, at the forming of the country. You had private mints competing in order to deliver the best quality coins. And today you can have private entrepreneurs delivering the best quality currency digitally, uh, as well as with coins. But, you know, let the market um, uh, come up with the solutions. Uh, you know, governments never have solutions. Uh, they only are, are dealing uh, with, you know, issues but don't come up with a solution. The way that society, society advances is because of solutions and innovations that come from the free market. Mm-hmm. And what applies to you know, the, the technology area should also be allowed to apply to the, to the monetary area. Yeah, there's, um, one wonders, uh, since the Fed hasn't audited the gold supply for so long, uh, I guess it's something like 261 million ounces that we're supposed to have. Is that, does that sound like the right number, James? Yeah, that's right. So... Uh, if if the world demands that we go back on a gold standard, we darn well better have that gold in the United States or else we're going to be in big trouble. Yeah, it's too scary a prospect to consider if they audit the gold and the gold's not there. But the people who are in favor of it say that because they're not auditing it, we really have to worry about whether the gold is really there or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, there's so much to talk to you about. We should have uh, carved out more time. We only have a couple more minutes left, but... Um, you had a recent discussion with Robert Prechter, who we've also had on this show, and I listened to that recently. And 
you and I have talked about this issue, the whole inflation deflation issue, which I think is very important because it it really has everything to do with with where you put your money. Except that under both scenarios, you want to own the physical gold. And even I had Robert Prechter's been very bearish in terms of the dollar. Uh, price of gold, but not necessarily all that bearish in terms of gold relative to everything else. And he, even he agreed when I talked to him that gold in a deflationary environment would fall less than almost everything else. He sees the dollar being stronger uh, than gold, of course, uh, which, of course, you, I think it's fair to say you take the opposite view, right? And, mm-hmm. and where do you think the difference? Both of you guys are very bright guys who've studied markets for a long time. You're both free market. Uh, advocates, uh, I think Robert Prechter is very much a, an Austrian school thinker as well. Um, where, why do you think the difference in terms of uh, your view of the world being one of the dangers being hyperinflation where Robert Prechter sees us going into a deflationary uh, depression? Well, uh, Bob is right if you actually calculate prices in terms of gold. Uh, you know, back in 2000, it took 40 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones Industrial. Today, you can buy the Dow Jones Industrials with just eight ounces of gold. That's a tremendous deflation. Yeah, and but he shows you, that in his chart and his newsletter on a regular basis, too. Yeah, but if you calculate in terms of dollars, inflation is all around us. And you know, Mr. Bernanke has said that he's going to prevent deflation, even if it means dropping $100 bills out of helicopters. Mm-hmm. And given all the quantitative easing that he's already brought into effect, <clears throat> the quantitative easing that we're seeing in the Bank of England... Bank of Japan and the European Central Bank and other central banks around the world, fiat currency, it does not get destroyed in the deflation. Fiat currency gets destroyed in a hyperinflation, and that's what's happening. That's where the U.S. dollar is headed, and we have to get off this path and go back to sound money as required by the Constitution to avoid a monetary and ultimately an economic collapse. Yeah. One of the things that I worry about, James, is that uh, if you're right on the hyperinflationary situation, first of all, I don't like gold mining in a hyperinflationary environment and um, because it's all about making a profit. And you, if it costs you more to get it out of the ground uh, than it's worth, you're not going to be getting it out of the ground. Well, that's okay. We want to own the bullion. We start with our portfolios there. Uh, but um, I worry about the hyperinflation and gold becoming worth uh, an infinite amount in dollar terms because the dollar becomes worthless then aren't we all, I guess this gets back to your point earlier, you need to keep your gold in various jurisdictions spread around different places because uh, you could be very vulnerable if you happen to own the stuff. I mean, it, it, it cost people some their, some people in France, I believe, their heads during the revolution. Yeah, you know, the problem with the monetary collapse is that it, it leads to an economic collapse, which in turn leads to a political chaos. And if you go back through monetary history, um, the political chaos often leads to a, a demagogue who promises order. In fact, that's what you know, brought Hitler to power you know, in Germany back in the 1930s. Um, fortunately, in this country, after our first monetary collapse with the Continental, they went the right way and they saw the rule of law as the way to bring economic order, not you know, the siren song of some demagogue. If we have another monetary collapse, hopefully we will go the right way again, mm-hmm. back to the rule of law rather than listening to a demagogue. Yeah, let's hope so. And I know there are people like Louis Lehrman, Ron Paul, yourself, a host of other Austrian school people who are doing their best to educate people to help them understand the connection between honest money and liberty. I mean, this is the most important issue of all. Ron Paul makes the point. He says, if we have our liberty, we can be prosperous again. But if we lose that, it's a, it's a, it's a different story. And we had a very, another very interesting 
uh, guest on this show, Alana Mercer, who talked about uh, what's happened in South Africa since the uh, in the post-apartheid era when property rights have been tossed out and how that has led to ultimate chaos and to, uh, and to the freedom, and not at the freedom, uh, forget the freedom, just the safety of people in South Africa since that point in time. I think people don't really understand the connection between liberty and free markets. And, and when we talk about free markets, we want to talk about the freedom to use what you want to use to exchange, uh, to, to do commerce, to, uh, to do transactions, don't we? Yeah, you're exactly right. The framers of the Constitution though, clearly understood the link between sound money and human liberty. Uh, and one of the things that I really recommend your listeners uh, take the time to read, it's a speech on the goldmoneyfoundation.org website that uh, was given in 1947 by a gentleman who was a congressman from Omaha. His name was Howard Buffett. Yeah. He happened to be the father of Warren Buffett. It's perhaps one of the most uh, brilliant pieces of um, uh, thinking about the link between sound money and human liberty. Uh, it's, it, it, again, it's by uh, Howard Buffett. It's on the goldmoneyfoundation.org website. Yeah, unfortunately, his son didn't seem to learn very much from his father in that regard, I guess. Yeah, that's what, what it appear. He does not seem to he doesn't understand kind of grasp the, the connection between, uh, yeah, between the system that we have now and, and the problems that we're having, I, I think. But in any event, thank you very much, James, for being with us. I have pages and pages of more notes and questions and discussions, but maybe another time if you're willing. Yeah, that would be great, Jay. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be with Arch Crawford. He's supposed to be joining us uh, after the commercial break. Don't go away. I'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Times and good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have back with me once again Arch Crawford because I think 
he may have some very important things to tell us about uh, how the planets are lining up now and how that may affect uh, some of our uh, markets, uh, our investments, and, in fact, maybe our very lives. Welcome, Archie, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Delighted to be here again. Good to have you. And, folks, uh, those of you who may not be familiar with Archie, uh, his bio is posted at the Voice America Business Channel website, and, well, on my website uh, at the Voice America Business Channel. So, uh, Archie, your last letter that was just put out on July 2nd is, uh, I suppose, very alarming to some people. It certainly, uh, it certainly um, is, is a warning sign of sorts. I would just uh, maybe read to our listeners. Uh, you say July 1618 kicks off the Mars-Uranus crash cycle. Tell us what that is. Well, I noticed, I, I did a lot of statistical work on the planetary cycles, um, synodic periods with the two planets involved, or uh, each planet around the zodiac, against, measured them against the average percent change in the Dow Jones uh, from 1885. And uh, one of the most startling ones is the Mars-Uranus uh, synodic period from the conjunction back around to the next conjunction of Mars and Uranus. Now, it's a fairly short cycle, only two years in length, but uh, and we don't have a crash every two years, uh, but every crash that has occurred in the last hundred years has taken place in the same 40% of that cycle, which gives us a, a sort of a wide uh, um, area in which a crash can occur, and this current one will begin on the 16th to 18th of uh, July and continue until sometime uh, late February, near the end of February. And that's not to say that the market will start down in the middle of July and bottom in February. It means that sometime during that period, the market has the potential of making a crash. Now, uh, we've got certainly... Uh, the fundamental and technical setup for the possibility of a crash with with all these headlines uh, that come out every day that we read in the newspapers and here on the TV um, the market would normally have been down several thousand points already yeah uh, and they haven't so I've been saying well it's not going to happen until we get into the Mars Uranus crash cycle yeah so that's coming up very shortly here, the beginning of it, and uh, not that it has to happen right away, but I would really expect the 16th to 18th to be something uh, more interesting than usual because uh, you have the, um, they are in extremely tight alignment on the opposition this time because both the declination and the longitude will be in the conjunction. One will hit exact on the 16th. The other one will hit exact on the 18th. Uh, last time, I think we had, or maybe it was two times ago, when we had just the Mars-Uranus opposition, um, Russia attacked Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it was four days after a solar eclipse had gone all the way across Russia. Mm -hmm. So this time the solar eclipse went across the Pacific, and it activated the ring of fire. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see major, major earthquakes much bigger than anything we've seen yet. Mm -hmm. Arch, how do you define a crash? What is your definition of a crash? Well, I just took like the eight 
biggest declines in the hundred year period mm-hmm. so it was uh these were obviously down a good percentage of of um the market over a a relatively small percentage of time it wasn't mm-hmm. any three days thing i mean there's a day when they say the market crashes yeah um but what i'm talking about is a a drop of uh 20, 30, 40%, either 20% in a very short time or mm-hmm. 40 or 50% over four to six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, sort of what we had, I guess, uh, in the 19, after 29, I suppose, something along those lines. And well, we had uh, 29, uh, uh, 37, uh, 62, 87, um, 98 may have counted somewhat. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I counted that or that was not. That a big one, yeah. But certainly 2002, 2001, mm-hmm. um, the period actually ended uh, on October the 4th or 5th, and I had said in the September 4th market letter that the market would crash by October the 4th mm-hmm. or 5th, and uh, this was... Uh, seven days before 9-11. And, of course, the week after 9-11, after it started trading again, uh, was the worst week since the fall of France in 1940. Hmm. And it bottomed on the fall equinox (laughs) on on 9-11. Yeah. So, you know, so so, uh, statistically, these things happen often enough that you've got to pay some attention to them, I guess, is, is what you're saying, essentially. There's no guarantees about anything here, but... but, but well, it, comp- it's re- very spectacular that all crashes have taken place during any particular thing happening in the sky. Yeah, over 100 years, and you said eight of them. Well, eight of them, when I wrote the article, there have been uh, two more since then, which I predicted. Oh, okay. Okay. The 2002 and the 2008. I was so when number you talk two about, market timer in 2002 and number one in 2008. So when you talk about the cycle, Archie, uh, what are you talking about? What is the time frame here on this? Is this this July 16th to February period you're talking about? Well, that's the, the crash portion of the Mars-Uranus cycle. Yep. I see. And the Mars-Uranus cycle itself is how long? About two years. I see. Okay. So that's the window within the two-year period. That uh, starts middle of July. Now, how do you decide that it starts in the middle of July and goes through February? Because, because it, that's what starts with the Mars opposition to Uranus, mm-hmm. and it ends when Mars is about thirty some degrees before the next conjunction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what? How do you explain? You can't explain it. I guess it's just statistically significant. Yes. Well, you know. Scientific study begins with observation, and some pe- I have heard a lot of people say, well, I don't believe it until you know what causes it. Yeah. And I'm saying that all scientific discovery begins with observation that you don't know the cause for, and sure. then you start observing, and then you start uh, having experiments, and, and then you show what the cause is. You learn it slowly over time, uh, but you don't know it right away when you first notice that this thing is happening. But this, uh, in terms of uh, the planetary movements having an effect on the sunspots, is very well known. Um, John H. Nelson 
who worked for a radio corporation of America, uh, learned how to predict uh, radio propagation quality, that's shortwave, um, by looking at the planetary positions relative to the sun. It's called heliocentric astrology, but he, he had no interest in astrology. He was a hard-headed uh, New Englander engineer, but he had uh, checked everything else that he could look at and couldn't get a handle on it. And somebody said, well, why don't you look at the planetary alignments around the sun if you want to predict when these magnetic storms are going to hit the mm-hmm. Earth. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so he took the 13 worst storms they had on record at RCA and drew the sun-centered planetary alignment pictures and mm-hmm. was surprised to find that when the sunspots kick off big time that there are multiple harmonic relationships among the planets looking out from the sun. Mm. And... Uh, I, I guess it's yeah, it's 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 fascinating stuff. I mean, it's just uh, you can only speculate as to the physics or what's going on here. I suppose the science, but it's uh, it, it is very very interesting to me that that there are so many of these that that is so statistically significant. So many of these uh, events. You did talk about um, sun activiz- activation of the Uranus uh, Pluto square. You you mentioned that uh, a week ago or so on Friday, June 29th, and then you said that. Basically, the market really went up then, and you say we got the volatility, but it was on the on the upside, I guess, right? Right. Is it possible sometimes, Arch, that you know you're looking for a crash? Well, I guess this is a, historically it's been a crash, a decline. So I guess that's what you're looking at. But is it possible sometimes it's hard to predict the direction of these markets or the direction of things to come? I mean, sometimes you might have extremely good things happen instead of bad things. Well, some of them are very clear. And then some of them are not so clear. Um, and if you, and there are a lot of uh, different details involved in the analysis of these things. Mm-hmm. My, I, I mentioned on page two that my cousin uh, had said that he he saw the positive side of that rally and why. So I have that on page two in the mm-hmm. uh, new is, new news letter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a very good letter, folks, and um, uh, we need to uh, to remind you that uh, you can subscribe to this letter called Crawford uh, Perspectives. And Arch, tell them, tell our listeners where they can sign up for your letter. All right, it's uh, CrawfordPerspectives.com, or you can call the office at five two zero five seven seven one one five eight. And uh, you can always Google Crawford Perspectives or Arch Crawford, and mm-hmm. there's several thousand hits. So the mm-hmm. first one is usually the website. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of people, uh, you know, have reservations about this, but all I can say is that Arch, uh, you've had some uh, some really good record. You've had a really good record, actually, in terms of market timing. You've been named by the Halbert Digest as a as the winner a number of times uh, out of a large number of newsletter writers. So. You can say whatever you want. Uh, Archie's record, he combines uh, his understanding of astrology along with his excellent uh, technical analysis. He's also a very, very sharp technical analyst uh, to come up with some pretty darn good predictions. And uh, you certainly, I think, you need to uh, use all the information you can get to try to I- increase the odds in your favor in these markets. Arch, we are out of time, unfortunately. I want to have you back again sometime very soon. Uh, hope you'll return with us. Certainly. Oops. Glad to.
Very good. Uh, folks, don't go away. Uh, I'm going to be right back with some closing thoughts uh, on the markets today and also about next week's guest. Uh, don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We've got a couple of minutes here to just talk about uh, today's show uh, and to let you know who will be coming on next week. Uh, I really enjoyed discussion uh, with uh, Luigi Zingales, for sure. I, I uh, only regret uh, we didn't have more time uh, to talk about more of the issues in his book. Uh, I think uh, he brings a perspective uh, to America that is very valuable. Uh, here is a, a person that came to the United States looking for opportunity because in Italy it was a matter of who you knew and who you bribed and who you paid off in order to get a um, uh, to rise in that society. And he talks in his book about uh, mothers who uh, encourage their their daughters to marry rich men, older men, because that's the only way they can find their way uh, uh, in, uh, to become upwardly mobile in the Italian system of nepotism. Well, his concern is, and I think he's very right to be concerned uh, about the direction of things in the United States, where we're moving towards 
crony capitalism, or we have already adopted to a great extent crony capitalism. There's no doubt about that in my mind, uh, nor is there any doubt about that in Gene Epstein's mind, who I really enjoyed having on the show again today. Gene talked about, uh, well, he doesn't call it a crony capitalism. He calls it crapitalism. Crapitalism, crap is what it is because it's not free markets anymore, and the American people were given uh, the constitutional right to be free and to be uh, to to compete in the market on a level playing field. And that's, uh, you know, what we went through the civil rights movement for, I thought, was to uh, to undo an injustice during that time where, uh, where black people were not given the same uh, right to compete in the marketplace. Yeah, and what we need is to restore that right of all people to be equal, equal in terms of their rights, not in terms of their abilities for sure. I think what we're trying to do, though, more than ever, is to make individuals equal and take away their abilities. Their own unique God-given gifts are not allowed to shine forth uh, in a totalitarian system, in a crony capitalism or a capitalist system, which is definitely, uh, I think, where we're going back to. So the fact that we had Luigi Zangales talking about uh, capitalism in his own way, well, in the same way, but... Uh, Gene Epstein didn't get to talk to Gene too much about uh, his ideas about the economy, but I'm expecting Gene is going to be a somewhat regular guest on our show to talk about the economy. I'm very honored to have him as a um, uh, he's a writer at uh, Barron's. I think very very well regarded. Uh, certainly enjoy his free market perspective from a major uh, publication like Barron's. Good to have him with us. Also, James Turk. Always good to have James. Uh, if there is anybody who understands the gold markets and the importance of gold in our liberty and our freedom, uh, it's James Turk. And he has uh, devoted his life to putting together, I think, a great service for people to try to protect themselves against the, the damages that are being caused against all people uh, by, uh, by an intrusive, increasingly tru- intrusive government that would take away the right to compete, individuals to be free to be who they are, uh, and to shine forth. And that is what really made America great. Uh, people would come like Luigi did, but many decades and, and centuries ago, even people would come to this country for an opportunity to be who they are, to develop their own skills and talents that they were given uh, uh, by God or uh, by their creator. So this is what we want, and, and I'm very thankful for people like uh, Dr. Zangales, uh, James Turk, all the guests I've had today, Arch Crawford, also is looking at truth, objective truth, and Arch is looking to the heavens in a way that maybe some people think are a little bit weird, but, you know, uh, you look at science, and as he says, we have to look at, uh, you know, we start with observations in science, and then we work backwards and we try to understand uh, why those things are taking place, and uh, I think Arch provides a great service as well. I'm really glad that we could have him on uh, once again with us. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a lot of fun for me. I, I hope uh, those of you out there listening to this show really enjoyed it as well. Next week we should have uh, a good time as well. We're going to have uh, Doug Weed, who is a spokesman for Ron Paul's campaign, uh, had been. Ron's uh, campaign is winding down now, although formally it's winding down. But Ron Paul will never wind down his campaign for liberty and freedom, honest money, which is where it all starts. Uh, we're going to have Doug Weed on with us uh, to talk a little bit about Ron Paul's uh, campaign, no doubt, and, and maybe some other things, but I'm also looking forward to Michael McKay. He's a commodity trader, a real Austrian school uh, thinker, 
uh, a believer in free markets for sure. And he's going to talk, uh, I, I think we're going to talk to him a little bit about Basel III, uh, the capital requirements that are being uh, shaped uh, uh, for the banks. And interestingly enough, it looks as though gold is being woven into uh, the capital structure of banks again. I think that this goes back to what John Butler has talked about on this show a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of our guests, like Louis Lehrman, Ron Paul, uh, Walker Todd, and others, about the inevitability of moving back to gold, having a gold standard, a monetary system that is based on honest money. The markets are already demanding that. That's why we're seeing gold rise relative to paper. It's a non, it's a vote of non-confidence against paper. That is for sure. Well, next week, uh, we'll have those gentlemen back. We are out of time now. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my executive producer, and Justin Jackman for making this show um, logistically viable. Thanks to each of you for listening to this show and making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.